Hello and welcome back to Hindsight is 50-50. I'm the host, J-Rod, with my co-host, the ORG, old retired guy. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm just coming down off the uh, NFL draft <laughs> weekend. You know how big of a big of a weekend that is for me. Yeah, did and you have to see the doctor after your erection lasted more than four hours? <laughs> more than four hours. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. A blue pill but, for blue balls? But <laughs> but my my play on words for this segment was drafter thoughts, and you didn't get it. <laughs> no, I did not get it. <laughs> I well, read right over it. I didn't even notice it. Well, like I, I just saw draft thoughts, and I was like, that makes sense. And I'm a drafter. These are my thoughts, and then the play on words with afterthought and drafter thoughts. I thought that was really clever. <laughs> you gave me nothing. <laughs> wouldn't the wouldn't wouldn't the NFL teams be the drafters, and then the players are the draftees? Well, yeah, but I'm you know substituting. I'm amateur GM for the weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're so, I mean, playing. and you saw my draft. I mean, I did. this year in the first round there were there were 31 picks. Okay. I had four players picked in their exact position to their exact teams. Now the first one was Bryce Young, so that was no big deal cuz everybody kind of knew that. But then, you know, I had three other guys in their spot and you know, one of them was to the Vikes, like around twenty, and another one was to the. Uh, um, let's see, I've got. Let me pull up this list that I sent you because. Well, I gotta say is like it's just like the NCAA tournament. It so many people put out like a bracket, right, and then gets all the yeah. teams, and and it, somebody usually wins money each year from having a perfect bracket, but it's like one in a hundred million brackets or something like that. If anybody had the Lions trading and picking up a running back, I'm telling them they're full of shit. There's no no way anybody predicted that. I did not predict that, but I picked Jack Campbell at the right to the Lions at the right pick. I picked Bryce Young. I picked B. John Robinson going eighth to the Falcons. I picked Jack Campbell going 18th to the Lions, and I picked uh, the wide receiver Addison from USC going to the Vikings at 23. I had those right. Then I had two other players in the right positions, but because of the the trades, I had the wrong team. I had the cornerback from Maryland, that Deontay Banks. I had him going 24th where the Jaguars were picking. Well, the Jaguars traded that pick, and the Giants took him at 24th. I had Will Anderson going third, but I had him going third to the Cardinals. The Texans drafted C.J. Stroud second, then traded back up and drafted Will Anderson third. That's a hell of a move, and a bold move. You know, and I give him credit, because that franchise has been down, and they needed a influx of young talent, and they just got the second and third player picked in the draft, and they're both pretty good. Um, I think C.J. Stroud might have been the best quarterback in this draft. I know you don't agree, and that's okay. 
Did you um, see the test scores? I saw that. Yeah, but I, look, the wonder look. It can mean uh, something. It cannot. This one's a little bit different than that. It can mean something, and then it can. I I agree with you. I didn't much care for his response. I don't think. But did, but did you see the percentages? Fair. Yes. That is bad. Well, that his, that his makes him undraftable to me. Yes, yeah, see. It, I mean, it, it was something like the worst QB in the draft got like a a, a sixty-two percent other than him, and he got like eighteen. And most people were in the eighties. Well, the one thing about this 18% that I sounds like know spelling your name right is that they have a lot more contact, and by they, I mean NFL personnel offices have a lot more close contact with these players than we do. They see them in, you know, behind closed doors. They talk to them privately, personally. They can kind of figure out, I believe, at least the good ones, and I believe between Holmes and Campbell and Spielman and our team, I think we have good ones. We we know guys that we want and we like. And I think there's only, you know, we only get, as fans, we only get a glimpse of that. And they kind of, they can peel back the onion a few more layers than we're ever able to. So I'm not, I, all I'm telling you is this, Jared. To me, and, and I agree with you, the, the test score should be of some concern. I think the Texans had kind of gotten past that. But I'll, I'll say this. He's as accurate of a passer as I have seen at the college level in a long time. And he can throw the deep ball. Now he's got good receivers at Ohio State, or he had good receivers there. But that guy throws a good ball. And, and again, maybe he'll be a – you never know about this stuff. That's the great thing about the draft. But there's so many, like, neat backstories about this whole process. Well, outside of his test score, when's the last time you saw – a pocket presence quarterback at his size that was successful in the NFL. Because he's not a runner, and he's not no. a scrambler. He can, but he doesn't like to. No, you and can you tell he doesn't like to. don't see people his size very successful in the pocket in the NFL, especially when you've got you know edge rushers that are 6'3 to 6'5 with their hands up. Well, he's over 6 feet, and he's over 200 pounds. I don't have his stats I mean, right in front of me. He's over six feet in his cleats. Well, I, I they list him. He measured at the combine over six feet. Yeah, I thought they had him at like six foot or six one, but I thought he's a little bit bigger than that. But I, I no, I just think, and again, that's the great thing about the draft. You don't know people grade the draft now. That's ridiculous. We don't know what any of these guys are going to be yet. We can be encouraged by what we think they can be, but we don't know what they are. I mean, years ago, before you were born, the Lions drafted a guy named Reggie Rogers, and everybody did cartwheels. And not just in Detroit. Nationally, everybody said, 
This guy is a starting defensive end in this league for 10 years. He is a dominant player. He's an Adonis. He never did squat. He got in a bad car wreck. He wasn't in the league very long. They got he, Stroud listed at 6'3 at the draft. Yeah. When he stands next to Will Levis, he's 5'9. I no, mean, he's, come not, on. he's taller than that. But I'm just oh. saying, like, Will Levis is 6'3, and they're not close well, to one another. Well, the, the combine measurements don't lie. And Will Levis, I thought, was listed at 6'4. But the combine measurements don't lie. Those are That's public stuff, and they're photographed when they're being measured, like in a police lineup. You know, which in some cases is applicable. I guess I just forgot that I was six foot seven. (laughs) Well, at the draft, I'm probably six ten. There are things that, and that could be, there are things that that they know. Like the whole thing with Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter ended up going nine to Philadelphia. Okay, Philadelphia is slowly becoming the Philadelphia Bulldogs. I mean. They got N'Kobe Dean and Jordan Davis last year. They got that Smith kid this year, the edge. Well, they're and just giving the SEC because they have. They're all Georgia guys. All those four. But are they've Georgia got Bama guys, guys too. Oh, oh, yeah. But I mean, and obviously Georgia had good defenses. And I think that they think that they can work through whatever Jalen Carter's issues are. You know, well, if you surround him too with familiar people that he's been successful go. with in the past, there you go. And he's got veterans like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox that are gonna, you know, help. Amongst Brandon them. Graham's a different fucking animal, man. That dude—that's a whole new level of aggressive. But among amongst those, you know, familiar faces, like you said. Then he's got some real like guys that are likely mentors. I mean, these are all pro players that are longtime veterans that have had a great amount of success, both of those guys. So, you know, the Lions had a private meeting with Jalen Carter, and he was there when the Lions... I thought for sure they'd take him. And then they traded that pick. Here, here's, again, there's so many crazy stories about this. Okay, your brother Jacob was out in Vegas at a... Bachelor party for his buddy Schwain. Okay. Oh, well, so, congrats to Schwain. Yeah. He's getting married. In fact, that wedding is on our first golf outing. So mm. Jacob can't go. So we got Mike to, we got big Mike to sub for us on, on June 3rd. But anyway, Jacob says, he, he texts me and he goes, So where do the Lions pick again? And this was in the first round. I go at six and 18. And I go, but I wouldn't be shocked if they don't trade that pick. Well, then when Witherspoon went five to the Seahawks, then the Lions were trading that pick. Because otherwise, I think they could have gotten Gibbs at, at, you know, they could have traded with somebody else and still taken Witherspoon. Now, maybe they wouldn't have got Jack Campbell at 18. And maybe they, you know, maybe they would have taken Gibbs instead of Campbell. But it was neat because Jacob texts me and he goes, what do they have? And I go, six and 18 in the first round. And he goes, and Jacob's immediate response was, how are they going to blank it up? And I said, I don't think they will. I said, I've got faith in these guys. So then 
they trade the pick. And they get a, a, a very high second-round pick, 34 overall, and they move down to 12. Well, when 12 comes, they take Jameer Gibbs, the running back from Alabama. Yes. Nobody thought that they, we'd take him. Not that high. I saw drafts, not many, of him going in the late first round. But they're... The only running back that consistently was in the first round somewhere was B. John Robinson, and he was there at six. Now, Holmes, to this day, says they would have taken Jameer Gibbs at six if they didn't trade. But anyway, so Jacob, he says, how are they going to, you know, blank this up? Well, you know, and I'm not, I can't disclose sources, but I have a source who has a very close friend with the Lions organization. And, and it, in fact, this close friend is, I believe, a rel- relative of ownership. So, and he's always good enough for the last few years, since I've known him, to text me a minute ahead of time or so when he knows what the pick is. <laughs> Excuse me. And he said, he texted me, at when they got to 12, he goes, Gibbs. I was wondering if there was another player named Gibbs <laughs> that I forgot. Not the fucking running back, right? <laughs> and again, not that he's not a good player. It's just I didn't see him going that high. So, I mean, I immediately text Jacob. I go, it's Gibbs. I'm and he slow. goes, and, and Jacob basically says, I told you they'd blank it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slowly... Falling in love with this pick the more we talk about it. Well, um, I love the fact that we're going to have an explosive receiving threat out of the backfield. You said he can kick return as well, so who knows what we'll have him do on special teams. Yeah. We've obviously, excuse me, picked up running backs for our backfield for uh, every down backs, and then this allows him to either play in the slot or, or as a swing back out of the backfield. But, but, since you and I have been talking about it a little bit pre-show and now on the show, um, one of the things I like the most, you know, we talked about how the Lions may be looking to establish the run even more because it opens up the passing game, and, and that's true. And I think we could look at all the football aspects that, you know, strategically why this is a good pick. But the big thing to me is the concern or the main focus of this coaching staff, GM, all of that for this new era of the Detroit Lions has been building a solid foundation. And by Swift, DeAndre Swift not being on the field, by him, you know, only being available when he's healthy and you you know you're not going to re-sign him, you're losing the explosiveness when he's on the field by this pick you're not just you know buying yourself time you're hoping that you plug the hole and that to me is part of building the solid foundation instead of going okay we'll draft somewhere else we'll worry about the swiss uh the swift situation when it arises and then all of a sudden your offense isn't as potent as it was because you're leaking over here, right? It's like a sinking ship. You're trying to plug all these little holes. And it's like, in this case, it's, it was almost like the draft pick was like, 
No, we're going to fucking plug this before it even starts to leak. And, and so we know we're getting rid of Swift. We're going to replace him right now. We've got other solid backs we know we've brought in. We'll take a chance on this one and what we think he could be. That way, with the future moving forward, we can focus on building the foundations and other parts of our, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams, but our team. But we're not going to have this one little, we don't have an explosive back thing plague us over the years, which I think a lot of teams do. I think a lot of teams will lose an X-Factor type player and then they go draft somewhere else on defense and then all of a sudden the next year their defense is stellar but their offense isn't what it used to be. And you keep going back and forth every time you lose someone, whether it's to salary cap, free agency, or whatever the case may be. And in this case, I, I feel like it was one of those sound decisions where they go, nope, we know this is the type of player we're losing. The biggest threat from Swift was probably his receiving. I know that he could gash people on the run for sure, but we've got other backs that can gash people on the run. But out of the backfield, he was different. And He's now we've drafted someone space. to... Yes. And, and so, we've and, drafted and someone who two, can do it. Plus he plays. That's it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's the old Parcells thing. Your best ability is availability. And... As much as I'd let, and we talked about this before, before he got traded, I love DeAndre Swift. He was oh, like yeah. this at Georgia. He was dynamic when he's right. But I think that he goes against what the Lions want. I saw several times of his, you know, when he played half the year again, he runs out of bounds. Yeah. Campbell doesn't like that. Now, he didn't want anybody to be stupid, and he wants his quarterback to run out of bounds. But Campbell doesn't, doesn't like that. I think that's why they love Jamal Williams so much, is because I'm not saying he's looking for contact, but he's damn sure not afraid of it. And well, I just but think how many times there's do we a come personality up? fit. How many times in football? You know, they've always said it's a game of inches. How many times in football have we come up a yard short and you're like, man, if I was this much closer, I'd go for it on fourth down. It's like, well, if you didn't run out of bounds on second or third down and got us right. one more fucking yard, we wouldn't be here. But, you know, as in Lions fans, and I heard the national pundits say this about Gibbs, they said they overdrafted him, and they may have. But I do know they loved him. And they but loved again, I think him. you're fixing that. Instead of building a foundation and letting an immediate crack go through it, you're like, yeah, we're going to lose Swift, but we're going to fix this right now so that we can focus on other shit moving forward. Because if, we, if, if Gibbs we doesn't back, pan out. Like, if you get that player that you think is the same player and he's on the field more. For a rookie deal. That's and you. still in the rookie deal. You're not hurting yeah, the salary you're cap. Better off having the guy who's available. He's got and the if there's one thing we know about Gibbs, regardless of how well he ends up between the tackles, everything else, he can catch the ball every bit as well as Swift could. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's like you are getting the one dimension that I would say Swift brought that our other backs in the backfield don't have would be that receiving threat. I'm not saying he wasn't more dynamic, you know, one cut in and out of the hole, all of that. But you can 
that to me is more replaceable than when you have someone who's a dual threat because they're a receiving combination from the running back position. And we know that he, regardless of how good he is, uh, you know, as an every down back, as a swing back out in the flats, if you put him in space, he can make people miss and he's got good hands. So well, it's like, I, I don't think it's a bad pick. Oh no, I, I and and I like it more and more. Here's here's how a local sports a Lions fan. Okay, the Lions picked you know, they picked Gibbs at 12, they picked Campbell, Jack Campbell at 18, which I love, and I called that pick. And they said we just didn't think he'd be there at 34. Somebody would have taken him. So I I'm watching ESPN's coverage and they're saying, "Well, we really don't see it." We, we, we the, this is you're drafting a guy that it's like wait a minute this isn't Alex Anzalone light Alex Anzalone is going to be Jack Campbell light I'm not kidding you this guy is almost 65 he's almost 250 pounds he ran like a 46 He's got great instincts. He's always around the ball. He's a two-time team captain. And so to me, that's a lion guy. This guy is going to be a hero in this town. He's going to be a starter and a great player here, in my opinion, my prediction, for 10 years. And everybody's going to love him. He's all football all the time. And I, when you look at what they did, they did they did Gibbs, they did Campbell at 18. Through the trade with Gibbs, they got the 34th pick. They took Sam Laporta, who I really like. And they had their choice of the top tight ends other than the Kincaid kid from Utah who went in the 20s to Washington. But they had their choice of Mayer from Notre Dame and others that many people had linked to the Lions. They took Sam Laporta, again, a two-time team captain. They took Brian Branch from Bama with their second second-round pick. And he was in the 40s, okay? They said Brian, Brian Branch started as a freshman at Alabama and played in a national championship game when I don't think he was 19 years old yet. He can play wide corner, he can play slot corner, he can play safety. So when you look at those guys, and, and again, Kuiper kind of pissed me off about the Jack Campbell thing. It's like, you guys are, I think you're way underestimating this guy. And I, maybe I'm wrong, we'll see. But I think this guy's going to be a stud. But if you look at those four players, you look at Gibbs, Laporta, Campbell, and Branch. Okay, that's their four picks in the first and second round. You got four guys that had first-round talent. And so then you kind of forget about where they picked them. Okay, maybe they, maybe Gibbs they could have got later than 12. I'm sure they could have. But they couldn't take both him and Campbell at 18. And I, Campbell would not have lasted out of the first round. Well, it makes, if, it makes you wonder if they, had a, if they figured it out, though. Like, if you, reach, if you reach for a pick, 
the guys, like let's say Campbell is one of three guys you're willing to take as your second pick in the first round of the draft, right? Let's say there's three guys in that scenario and you reach for Gibbs, you just drastically increased the percentage that one of those three that you want is going to drop to your next pick. And I just wonder if they figured that out because you're not like if if everyone keeps taking the best player or the one that they should have taken, all of the studs are going to be gone right now. But if you go and you go, this guy is worth it. If we don't get who we want, it's still a worthwhile pick, even though people are going to judge us on reaching. That's one more pick pushing all those players back. That's, again, going to make sure that you're leaving some of those studs left over for your next pick. I wonder if they've done some sort of study or something about that because it it seems like a very savvy move. Um, Yeah, and and you're right. Maybe they have figured it out. Maybe maybe they did figure it out. I, I will tell you this. And I'm quite confident of this. And I, in the Lions, if I know it, the Lions damn sure knew it. Jet Campbell, I don't think they overdrafted him at 18. I, I think he's going to be proved to be worth every ounce of. That. I just hope he's rangy. I don't. He is. I think he is. At four six, though, you think he's rangy enough? Great just instincts. Because of his length, man. he's just got great instincts, and he's a big dude. It's like they would not have, there's no way that he would have, the Patriots would have drafted him. And they would have drafted him. Initially, the Patriots were at like, uh, let's see, 10, 15. They would have drafted him at 15. Kurt, Kurt Ferens, whether you like him or not, his offense has sucked because his kid's been running it for a few years. And they haven't had a quarterback. That more testimony to Laporta for not having a QB, and he's been that good. But so Laporta, just for everyone out there, is a tight end from Iowa. Yes, and but, I like that over the Notre Dame picks and all of that because, at least in my opinion, notoriously speaking, Iowa tight ends are much better blocker than like the receiving Notre Dame tight ends. And he can get Laporta can get downfield. Yeah, yeah they're best. usually tall yes. and have very good hands. Can can definitely run the seam with the best of them. Um, but but they do seem to be better edge blockers, in my opinion. They, supposedly, that's the one thing that he needs to work on to get better at. But I think he's the kind of better guy. for the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> no, but again, I, think I mean, I think he's the kind of guy. Hey, his coach played tight end in the league for 10 years. His position coach played tight end in the league. He's going to get some help. And I just, I think if you look at those four picks, again, you look at them individually and you might go, man, they shouldn't have taken him that high. But when you look at the four of them and you go, we got those four guys in the first two rounds, you kind of got to say, man, that's that's pretty good stuff. That's four. I'll tell you what. There's three of those guys. Maybe, maybe all. In fact, I'd say this right now. All four of those guys, barring injury, are going to get significant snaps on this team 
this year. Well, it, well, and in the positions you look at too. So, so it's very well balanced, right? It's two offense, two defense. You've got running back and tight end. You've got linebacker and, but most likely outside linebacker and safety. But the way I look at it is like, not only do you get this talent in those positions, but when you're trying to build a fundamentally sound team with a good foundation, your two captains on defense are going to be your safety and your linebacker. It may be a middle linebacker. It may be an outside linebacker. But those are the guys who you look to when things start to get a little squirrely. They got to calm shit down, and they got to fucking bring the heat. And then on offense, your safety valves, your check down as a QB who needs help is your tight end and a running back with decent hands. Yep. That's why I like these first four picks. You just brought a ton of leadership to your defense, and you just made your safety valve positions that much better for your QB on offense, which, again, this is just my opinion, but that is how you get success in the NFL. Well, I, I, and I think you're right on. I think that, no, I, and I believe, like, Jake Campbell played in the middle at Iowa. I think Jack Campbell can play any of the linebacker positions. I really do. Now, well, I just I think, think you're going to keep Rodrigo in the middle, though, because I don't think he can play. He doesn't have outside. the versatility. And right. I think Branch is going to play a lot of slot. And, it, you know, because the Lions run five DBs a lot and two linebackers. And they run five DBs a lot. And so I think Branch is going to play a lot. And I think Laporta, I mean, the room's made for him, the tight end room. It's like if he's got skills, and I and I like our tight ends, but I think he's an upgrade. I really do. And Gibbs, we talked about him. I mean, he's that he's that guy. And and again, I'm not saying that he should have been picked at twelve, but they sure were adamant about it. When I asked my friend before the draft, I said, tell me something I don't know. He immediately texts me back. He goes, Gibbs at six. And I'm thinking, no way. And then they didn't take him at six. They traded back and took him at 12. And that, which was still a surprise, but obviously they had a lot of confidence in this guy and a lot of faith in this guy. So... We'll but, I mean, if that if that Campbell kid is good as what you say and what the Lions think of him, him next to Rodriguez is going to be a hell of a thing. And and if you have that Anzalone or Anzalone, I, I don't know how you say it. Anzalone. Anzalone. If, if he's versatile enough to flip-flop sides of the field, that linebacker, because, I, I, I mean, he's, he's a rangy player. He's not like a hammer. So it's like if you, I, I think that gives you that versatility. You just said they they run a lot of um, five DBs uh, on their defensive sets, but it, it will give you more versatility to run with three linebackers instead. Oh, yeah. Because if you've got, let, let's say, in theory, Anzalone is more rangy than Campbell, just because I don't know Campbell. Campbell might be more rangy. I'm not sure. Right. You could just put Anzalone on the wide side of the field every time. As long as those two are comfortable flipping, and he's good like, in coverage, Anzalone right. is, and they just signed him to a 
it's one of those three-year deals that's really a two-year deal. And but, so with that versatility, now you, you're, I mean, probably increasing the strength of your run defense by having an extra linebacker on the field. But now you've also got more scenarios where if you bring three linebackers onto the field in third and medium, because the other team respects you in coverage, assuming these guys cover as well as they can in the flats, you also have three linebackers. So sending a blitz is possible with someone who can go through the line. Like a lot of times when you have a defensive back blitzing off the edge, they have to come off the edge. There's sometimes you safety blitz up the middle and all that, but again, getting caught up in linemen's a big deal. But if you have three linebackers on the field more frequently, sending that blitz on third and medium, you can go through the line because a little chip block isn't going to stop them. And like I, and I, I said, think that makes you versatile. Kurt, Kurt Ferens, and you can like him or not like him, he's been at Iowa for 20-some years and had a lot of success. His offenses lately haven't been very good, but he has had a lot of success at Iowa. He really has. And he couldn't say enough about Jack Campbell. He said, we haven't had a guy with his instincts and his size. Um, you know, they, they showed highlights of him when Ferens recruited him. He actually went to one of his high school basketball games. And, uh, you know, Campbell would fall out early, and he could dunk. <laughs> and that was oh, yeah. it. <laughs> that was it. He either dunked or fouled. <laughs> and he, I'm not you mad know, at that. And he was a starter on his high school basketball team, but that what that's just how good of an athlete. Well, he is. and I'm not drawing a comparison skill set wise, um, but but you, I think there's a lot of people that maybe their speed isn't what you would hope for, but because of their instincts, they're a better player. I know we had talked about that a little bit last week, but one player that comes to mind for me is Brian Erlacher. Now I'm sure he's fast enough to run me down. I'm not saying he's a slow man. But in the era of the NFL he played in, he was a slow man. But he was always in the right spot, and it made him a good linebacker. And so it's like, uh, again, I'm not saying their skill sets are even remotely close, but even if he's running a 4-6 and he's got to be able to get to the flats on a running back who's running a 4-2-9, it's like, but if he's already halfway there by the time the running back takes off because of his instincts, then... I can see where that success will happen, and they'll have a good career. When you, you know, and you're not going to remember this guy only in from me talking about him. You never saw him play. But there was a guy that the Steelers drafted years ago, and it was in the 70s when they had the steel curtain, their famous defense. And he played middle linebacker, and his name was Jack Lambert. He played at Kent State. He was... Pushing 6'5", but he only weighed about 220. But he had great, and, and again, the league was smaller then. Players were smaller. But even then, he was light for a middle, even at that time. He played on four Super Bowl championship teams, you know. And he, to me, Jack Campbell is a combination. He, he's like him. He has those instincts, and he's more his size. He's a lot heavier. You know, he's 30, 25, 30 pounds heavier than Jack Lambert was. But it's a combination of Lambert with 
Chris Spielman's instincts. And then when you know that the kind of guys that they're drafting and the 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 personalities that they want in their facility, um, there's uh, I, I I have again until they prove me wrong, I have great confidence in what they've done. I really do because it seems like each year we get I have been surprised at either a draft pick. Amon Ross St. Brown was a fourth round pick. He's a top ten receiver in the game now. You know, um so I've got a lot of faith and a lot of confidence in these guys, and until me they prove me wrong, I'm I'm gonna keep drinking the Kool-Aid. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't disagree with it. I mean, I ju- they they make you feel more confident just by the culture that they're creating. You feel more confident in their decisions because even if it, even if somebody turns out to be a bust, you know what their plan was and you understand what they were trying to do. Um, but but on this Campbell kid, it's like I, I mean, I, I'm not dogging him. I just don't know who he is. But at, at six five two fifty. Even at a four six, that is a scary machine. That is time with great instincts. But I mean, you're gonna fucking kill somebody in the flats <laughs> at that size. I, like somebody's gonna catch a swing pass or a screen, and at six five two fifty, they're gonna you know it's gonna be like little giants. Are you okay? I think so. He's talking out of his butt. It's you know like, they, come o- on, they man. always have a good defense. That is a big dude. They always have a good defense. There. They do, and he's a team captain. I think he led their team in picks two years in a row at middle linebacker. Do we still have Houston? Yes. Okay. Cause I, well, I was just thinking if you were, regardless of what position he's at, um, the Jack Campbell, if you were to send him up the middle between Houston and Hutchinson and Campbell, just their reach jumping up at the line. That's hard to throw a fucking football. <laughs> that is hard to get a football. I mean, because all those dudes get their hands up. And uh, you got well, that Kaminsky Campbell, waving that know, club but, around. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that that just, like, it's a, again, we said it last year. It's an exciting time to be a Lions fan. And it's fun to know the sense of direction that they're going, which we haven't had that in such a long time. Well, in in that you know, and I'm sure we've alienated a lot of people that aren't <laughs> all into the draft, but it's pretty exciting for me. It's you know how I feel about it. Alan and I were texting back and forth until he got pissed and quit watching after they drafted Gibbs. But yeah. then he started watching it again the next day, and he had some time to get used to it. You know. Um, right. I mean, when, when I heard about it, it was, it was a little bit of a bitter taste, but the, I've slowly started to fall in love with that pick. Now, you said that the Lions traded Swift to the Eagles? Yeah, and that's that takes us into the above or below 50. A guy here two weeks ago, a local radio guy, said they were talking about DeAndre Swift. He's going into the last year of his deal. He plays about half the season. He's done it each year. He's dynamic when he's healthy, but he hadn't been healthy. It's, you know, it's the best, your best ability is availability, and he hadn't had enough availability. So once they drafted Gibbs, uh, you know, Alan, like, reached out to me the next day. He goes, 
what are, you know, what are they doing? And it's like, DeAndre Swift won't be a lion by the end of the weekend. And he's right. not. So you're, here's my above or below 50. DeAndre Swift got traded to the Eagles. Philadelphia is his hometown, by the way. Eagles went to the Super Bowl. They're a very good team. By the way, the Eagles killed it in the draft. They had a great draft. Um, but so DeAndre Swift gets traded to the Eagles. He's in the last year of his deal this year. Okay, the above or below 50 for you at this moment in time, should you choose to accept it, <laughs> is DeAndre Swift goes to a good team in the last year of his rookie contract. Does DeAndre Swift get a multi-year extension during this season? So I That's have your... a question before I answer that because I'm okay. unaware of the situation. Okay. Given how star-studded the Eagles are, but yet a lot of their players are very young, do they have the cap room to sign him to a multi-year deal? I'm sure they do, yeah. I, so Without take that, making major sacrifices. I take that out of the equation. Let, okay. Let's put that caveat in there, okay? That so they assuming have the that they room. can make it work financially, I would say there's... My brain wants to tell me there's like a 51% chance, but my guts tell me there's a 70% chance that he gets extended, that he a signs. Multi, a multi-year extension, not a yes. one-year extension. No, three plus. The reason I feel that way, uh, you said it's his hometown, but I think one of the reasons Swift didn't fit in the Lions culture as well as we wanted him to or hoped he would was because he wants to win now. And I don't think he's made of the shit that it takes to build and become a winner. He wants to be on a team that is already, you know, the Cadillac. Um, uh, so he's going to be in his hometown. He's going to be on a team that's coming off of a, playing in a Super Bowl. Um, he's going to be in a star studded lineup. So he wants to be flashy. But on top of that, his QB is a squat warrior and will not put up with this weak bullshit. I don't think, I think, I think Jalen Hurts will get after him, but also I think he'll be working out with him. And although Swift is already electric, I think by working out with Jalen Hurts, his lower body is going to become stronger, more stable, and probably more explosive so that he'll jump out and have a year that might be better than all other years he's had. I'm not sure that he can keep that consistency over the next three to four years, but I would think that he will explode enough to where they it at least fools people into signing him. That's my Okay, opinion. and let's don't forget that he's going to a team that, like you said, is a good team with a good quarterback, but also has loaded up on Georgia players the last two years. So he's going to exactly. have college teammates there surrounded by friends. And yeah. Yeah. So it could be good. I, however, <laughs> I think it's about 30% because I think he, I think he is what he is. I think he will continue to show flashes of brilliance, but I don't think it'll be enough. And I think I'm, I'm sure he won't be done. I just think that he may proceed to get 
a one-year deal with incentives, then another one-year deal with incentives. And like that, because I, I don't have any confidence that he's going to be anything other than he has been, which is brilliant at times, but not on the field enough. And I completely get that argument. I, I really do. Like I, There's one thing that I think makes me swap from that side of things to, to the opinion that I had. And it's even when he was at Georgia and he would get hurt and not be on the field, when we started seeing that some of the other players there were studs, all of a sudden he came back and was really good. And I think when he was in the Lions backfield, he always knew he was that guy. And so he did the same thing at Georgia where it's like one little injury and I'm just not going to play. But now when he goes to the Eagles, I feel like they are so talented and already have those explosive players that maybe the Lions, although I think we're building a different team. We're, we're a gritty effort team, not necessarily the best player on the field team. He's going to a team now in the Eagles where a lot of the players, when they line up on the field, are going to be the best player on the field at that position. And so when he walks on there, I, I think there's going to be that shake in confidence that forces him to have a, a form of motivation where it's like, dude, nobody here thinks you're the shit. So unless you show out all year, you're not going to impress us over like, you know, is it AJ Brown who they have at receiver or yeah. Jalen's ability or even the Kelsey brother at center who gets way downfield making blocks. It's like they're all that team all over the field, especially on the offensive side has weapons everywhere. And I think that will allow him to have that fear of being lost in the sh in the shuffle. And again, it could make him crumble, absolutely. But to me, what he did at Georgia was the second that it's like, ah, well, we can forget about Swift because this Holyfield kid or whatever is better. Then all of a sudden he started showing up and was flashing all over. And it's like, I don't think he's going to be allowed to quit and still be semi-successful with the Philadelphia Eagles like he was able to do with the Lions because they'll chew him up and spit him out and move on. Well, they have Rashad Penny on their roster along like in there I just looked at their depth chart and he's the number one back on their depth chart. Behind him is Rashad Penny who has kind of had the same kind of career as DeAndre Swift. He's been hurt good when he's not hurt. Um, I don't think he's, I, I think he had a serious injury last year, a more serious, like with DeAndre Swift, it's like, again, I don't know the guy. I don't want to criticize the guy. I say what I see. There's lots of, again, it comes down to that definition between being hurt and being injured. Guys play hurt. If All you're the injured, you can't play. Now, a bruised shoulder, guys play through that. Even running backs, even quarterbacks. That's what I can't stand is he'll go out for a bruised shoulder, but you have a QB who broke his thumb on a helmet and he's throwing the ball next week. Yeah. It's like, and it's like, so uh, again, I, I think we know what, I, I think I know what he is and God bless him. If he proves me wrong, he's on a, he's in the right situation to do it, but I just don't have any faith that he's going to be. Anything more than what he's been, which is all kinds of promise and limited availability. 
and well, but if they bad. have the same back in Rashad Penny, then then they're split in time, which is probably good for his health. Excuse yeah. me. The other reason that, and maybe I should have said this. I know I was thinking this, but the other reason I think he might be more um, successful on paper than in reality, and that might kind of fool people into signing him to a multi-year deal. You start doing the read option with him and Jalen Hurts, and that's some scary fucking shit. Oh, yeah, I mean, big like, time. Now, I, don't misunderstand me. Rashad Penny, I was only comparing the injury thing. They're different kinds of backs. I, mean, I, I thought I, so, I, but I just I wasn't think Swift is way better out of the backfield, way better as a receiver. And you just mentioned something. You know, that option thing is now in play again, and that's a real thing because they can both run that. I mean, I'm and I'm talking about Hertz and Swift. That's pretty dangerous. Especially with RPOs becoming yes. more popular in, yes. in the NFL. I mean, it's not just the run option now. It's the, the run pass option. So it's like whether you got Brown on a slant, your tight end doing a little hook, you hand it off to Swift or you keep it yourself, it's like, well, fuck, man, our defense has got to be everywhere. Well, again, that the only reason that I, I no, his track a, record says this will fail. That yeah, I, 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 I don't just disagree don't, with you. At I all. just think he is what he is. He's a tease, you know. He's a really good back. But how many players do the Lions get rid season. of who shit the bed with the Lions, and then they become an All Pro somewhere else? Hmm. I feel like that happens a lot. Like, we'll go get rid of a safety. We'll go get rid of whoever. And they become – and I'm not saying consistently. Well – But the next year or within the next two years. I mean, shit, we Andre can look Diggs at Stafford. Come, yeah, well, that – yeah, dude, come on. That's I'm not, just saying, though, with, with the receivers that we had, we should have had enough talent to do better than what we did. Right. And then he gets a Super Bowl immediately. Well, during the we Quintricia, had go away. The Quintricia, Quintricia era of those <laughs> yeah. guys, which we're still paying for. Um, you know, they, they signed Quadri Diggs to an extension, and then five games in the season they trade him. No, because he no. did something in the locker room Matt Patricia didn't like. And I'm well, not saying this is a... bullshit. The scenarios don't change because the staff. I absolutely think we have a better staff. That wasn't the the I guess the point I was trying to make. It's almost like a lion's curse because we all know what DeAndre Swift could be and how scary that is. Right. It would be just our luck <laughs> to give him to one of the most dangerous teams in the NFL and he becomes the freak of nature we knew he could be. It but would see, be our luck. I, I'm just saying I think that luck is changing. I do. I I, I just Hope that's how right. good I feel about this new regime as far as the management team. And that's how good I feel about the way they finish the year. We have I'm sure deluged people with way more draft Beat talk. The draft to death. And I'm sorry <laughs> about that, but I had to get well, it out of We warned people that it was coming though. I mean yeah. it is what it is. But but so we had your boys. We picked them up what Thursday, Thursday evening, and brought them back yes. Sunday, Sunday morning. 
and they were really good and they weren't problems they're just little kids i mean little kids are problems well they're synonymous i tell you what it makes you think of and this is the truth i remember raising kids (laughs) and i remember how (laughs) how frustrating it was at times um and they weren't like I said, they weren't bad at all. They really weren't. I, you know, I took JJ to the grocery store one day because it wasn't a great weekend for doing stuff outside. That's where he and I have the most fun. But he and and Jameson both, you know, they they really were pretty good. It was just, it was funny because you see, and I know you see it every day, but see, I don't. I remember it from when you guys were little kids. But I don't see it every day. Now, you know, when we watch Jacob's kids, and we usually watch them every Tuesday, and his daughter is three and a half, and his son is two. And you can tell there's they've already figured out buttons to push, right? Especially the older one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they know the buttons to push to piss the younger one off. And J.J.'s no different than Juliana is with Jackson. J.J.'s the same way with Jameson. And so, you know, and we have this room set up for them that where we have that big sliding door and we open that all the way so we have we can hear what's going on in there. And and we we have got this little table for them and they can eat their meals in there and we obviously we check on them a lot. And then they we've got a TV in there and we can they can watch cartoons and do all that stuff. Well, you know, you'll hear this, and it, and like I said, it's not confined to your kids. I will hear it tomorrow because we have Juliana and Jackson tomorrow, and it'll be like, eh, eh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and you know, the older one is doing something that's just pissing the younger one off. You know, oh, it might just be pulling every toy he picks up out of his hands. Anything. Yes. Yes. And then when you walk in there to see what's the matter, the toy's back in front of him. <laughs> yeah yeah they hear you coming and it's like oh so we we had you know and and we struggle with getting jj to find something that he likes now he, he to eat he loves fruit you know i'm 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 saying this for our listeners he loves fruit so we know that's easy but you can't just feed him fruit all the time but he's pretty particular well i grilled like mashed hamburgers one day like skinny burgers like mcdonald's ones mm-hmm. he loved those oh yeah he loved scrambled eggs and then jameson would eat his scrambled eggs and jameson eats everything and, <laughs> and jane was talking to melissa <laughs> and she says well yeah yeah jameson will eat eggs but don't put anything else on his plate yeah. <laughs> yep. You put anything else there, and everything else is better. And now he doesn't like eggs at all. But, yeah, he wouldn't even eat them. And for in one meal, he didn't eat them. And so then, by the time we get in there, he's like, uh, uh. And JJ was eating his eggs because Jameson wasn't going to eat them because there was something else on his plate. It wasn't touching, but there was, he just wasn't going to eat it. And <laughs> then. And, you know, and J.J. said to your, to your mom, you know, to his grandma, he said, these are good. He, he <laughs> loves her scrambled eggs. These are so then the, the last morning that we had them, 
and they were good through the night. We had to put them to bed one night. We had to put them to bed an hour early because they were both being little shits. And and JJ didn't wasn't listening. And it's like okay, well bedtime That's just came at seven. Yeah, yeah bed, bedtime <laughs> just came at seven o'clock tonight, Bob. And he's like, wait, baby, wait. He's trying to talk his way out. Yeah. <laughs> But, told but you, JJ don't want to go to bed because yeah. And he told your mom she was mean. He told yeah. her that. <laughs> You're mean. Of course he but, does. But everybody got over it. Well, on the last day, the the morning we were bringing them back, your mom makes eggs again. She's very careful not to put anything else on Jameson's plate. She makes JJ some eggs, and everybody's happy, and I... She made them like extra eggs, so there was there was enough there, plenty. And it's really quiet, and it's like <laughs> we go walking in there, and they've got some like little tractors out that have front buckets on them and all that. There's eggs everywhere. There's eggs <laughs> yeah. in the tractor bucket. There's eggs in the trailer. Mm-hmm. There's eggs on Jameson's head. There's <laughs> scrambled eggs. <laughs> You're lucky Max isn't more mobile, or they'd have been feeding him all of it. That was okay. amazing. And I told, I sent you guys a text about this. You know, Max is, he's always been kind of weird about JJ. And I think it's that he smells your guys' dogs. But he's always been like a little bit tense around JJ. He's barked at him a few times. Never got him or anything. But he's barked at him a few times. And because he's so old and cantankerous, we're a little bit concerned. So I watch him close. They were, everybody was tight this last visit. I mean, those kids pet him and he'd, he'd go, like if they were in the other room, He''d go walking in there to see what they were doing. They petted him. He'd lay in his dog bed in the living room. JJ would go get some toys. He'd sit down right next to him and play with toys, reach out and pet him and, you know, and talk to him real nice. So we, and we've told him, you know, it's just like he's old, he's sore. Um, you gotta be, you gotta be real gentle. And they both, they both were, and it seemed like, Everybody loved it. Like they, yeah, they liked being able to pet him a lot, and he liked the attention. You know? Oh yeah, I mean they've they've always wanted to be good with him, and and I don't think he ever genuinely disliked the boys. It's just you know we have Mason, and Mason's a an alpha male of a dog, but he's also intact. And so for anyone who doesn't know what that means, he's not neutered, which <laughs> means he also gives off different pheromones, so when the kids are loving on him, they're going to smell like a dog that still has his testicles. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that makes male dogs, especially that live out in the country and are used to ruling the roost solo, it's like that makes them very uneasy. And I, I do think that was part of the reason. And and unf- I would love for everybody to get along, but unfortunately we can't, you know, we can't get those two together. Uh, Max too old to wear... Uh, a, a potential injury would be catastrophic. Yeah. And Mason is strong enough to where 
unless you had him on a harness 24 7 he could do a lot of damage by the time he got there and it's just and they're both lovely dogs at one point each one of them was my dog um yep um and, and so i've spent a lot of time with them and, and they are both lovely dogs but unfortunately they just can't be together so I, I do think that put a little bit of strain between um max and jj early on especially because with with jj and mason kind of growing up together mason was always protecting oh, yeah. jj um and, and so that smell was all over him almost like imprinted on him and so I think it put strain there, but it was just something Max needed to figure out that it was just a smell and that it didn't mean the dog was coming. Yeah, um, I, it was just, you know, and we had him, you know, we had him for three nights, which was fine. But it was just really nice to see. It was that, like I said, if they, he had one, Max had one really bad day as far as soreness. He was really struggling to get around and you know and jane and i your mom and i even had a conversation it's like well i'm not gonna let him become you know an invalid right and i said i hope he gets better and the next day and i said if he's not monday we'll take him to the vet and see where he just see where he's at and we probably should do that anyway but anyway I want to say that was on Friday when he was so bad. And by Saturday, he was doing a lot better. By yesterday, he's as good as he's been in a while. And today, he's he's fine. He, I mean, the again, last couple times I've been out there, he, like, forgets that he can't run. And he tries to, and he overdoes it. And that's what makes him lame. I mean, he's still, he's still got it, but his body isn't cooperating. And he doesn't, you know, he can't see. I mean, he, his, his vision is really bad. You can tell. And he doesn't like steps. You know, when he was really young, that was a problem. We joked about him yeah. having a depth perception problem. Yeah. You know, and, and you said, I think he's just retarded or something. Yeah. I mean, he was. I've never seen a dog that went on a full-out sprint through a yard. And, and this... For, so for for our listeners out there, this is a black lab pit bull mix, but I promise you, his body is more like a greyhound than anything with the head of a pit bull, and he is just like a large greyhound, and he would sprint around the yard, and he was so fast, and his his strides were so long, he was like really stretched out, lumbering through the yard. But when he would try and turn. He wasn't chopping his steps, and he would just tumble end over end over end. And then when you'd bring him into the house, he would jump to the couch from like six feet away and hit the back of it, and it tip over and slam into the wall. And it's like, yeah, you know, either he was blind then and is worse now, or he was retarded then and unfortunately is working his way back to it. And he got a lot better because you know, from like. The room off the kitchen kind of goes into the living room, okay? And so there's a long distance. There's almost 20 feet. And I would toss a ball over his head when, you know, once he got over that depth perception thing. And he would catch it. He could spot it and catch it running away, which in baseball, that's the most difficult catch to make is the ball over your head. And Max would repeatedly do that. But now he's gotten back to where 
He doesn't like going up steps, but he really doesn't like going down them because I don't, and I don't think he can see. And now when he jumps into the couch, <laughs> I mean, it's happened so much that he's, he'll get too close and he can't make it. He can't clear the, the edge of the couch. So he falls backwards. Now he's gotten to the point where he'll wait for me to be standing next to him and he'll be right next to the couch, like inches away. And then he'll jump. And if I hadn't been, and I'll pick up his, I'll grab his backside and help him up. And, but he waits for me now because he knows otherwise he's going to have a wipeout. Yeah. Cause he can't clear the edge of the hurdle. <laughs> but you well, know, he, he's, he's also pre-traumatized from that though. I mean, when he was, when he was a puppy and that, you know, like a one-year-old dog puppy, not puppy puppy. Uh, I used to toss him treats and play catch and all kinds of stuff. And I threw one too high in our house and he jumped straight up and ended up doing three quarters of a backflip and hitting his neck and head on the floor. Ooh. And then it took months and months and months to ever get him to jump again because it had scared him. So it's like, now that sometimes if he misses the couch, he kind of bounces off and falls to his back. I'm sure it brings back bad memories. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. But, you know, with all of his foibles, and he had he has many. I mean, he was a rescue dog, and he bounced around to different homes and... And in and I'm not I'm not accusing anybody of mistreating him. I, he just he bounced around and oh he was mistreated and and I yeah I I don't know to what level but you know he's a skittish dog but boy he's just been a great dog he is he has been he's four over fourteen years old now and he's just been a wonderful dog he I mean really he is. he's come so far like when I yeah. went and picked him up. Um, the, the story I was told was that he was found in a dumpster with a bunch of kittens and left to die. And then someone adopted him and brought him back a week later. And their excuse was he followed them around too much, which, right. what the fuck are you getting a dog for? Uh, right. Um, and, he, and you know what? And what? He'll still do that. He does follow you around. He doesn't like to like well, he's now. He's a true companion. <laughs> yeah, when you're when your mom is gone, he doesn't like it when we're both not here. He's real antsy if I'm out in the yard working and she's inside. He's real antsy if she's gone and I'm inside. He and he doesn't he doesn't whine necessarily, but he'll pace and he's always looking out the window. And like if I'm out working in the yard, your mom if I'm out for any length of time, your mom will have to bring him outside so he knows I'm still here. I wonder yeah. if that has to do with Maggie. I'm sure it you does. guys had Maggie had to be put down this past well, a few years ago now. Been right? a year. It's been, been a year. year. Yeah. So so a year ago she had to, you know, it was her time. And I, as much as we hope that he understands what happened, one day she left the house and didn't come back. Right. So I, you know, I wonder if, if that makes him skittish, and, and I'm sure, even for me, because like you know, I, I was I led the charge to adopt Max, and and spent a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. We we mentioned 
the bad things that happened to him before we adopted him. But once we got him, took him to the vet because he was supposed to have been dewormed. Um, and I believe their exact phrasing was, he has every type of worm possible while still being alive. Mm-hmm. And so he shit live worms and it crawled across the floor. Oh, he threw dude. up an 18-inch tapeworm. I mean, this dog had everything, and eventually, and he had holes in the top of his paws from trying to get out from under his cage when he was at the kennel. Uh, and, and you know, they even told us they're like, you know, he's very skittish. He doesn't like anybody, so don't be shocked if he won't come up to you. And he ran right up to me, came between my legs, and I was like, "Oh, this is my dog." And then he slept on me the whole car ride home, and. After that, it was just so many one-on-one experiences training him through every little thing. I mean, he was afraid of plastic bags. He was afraid of the vacuum, everything. So it's like we went through a lot together. And then when I met my now wife, I moved away. But we all agreed that it wouldn't be right for me to take – like Max needed a yard. It wouldn't be right for me to take him towards a city. Um Plus and he take had him away from his home. And exactly, from you guys, from Maggie, from everything that was familiar, it wasn't right to change his scenery, surrounding, and loved ones. It would be easier to just have me go as him losing one thing versus all of those things. And well, so I wonder if, you know, first I left, and he still recognizes me, all that, but sure, I left, and I'm sure that was a little bit scarring. And then, you know, Maggie's been there his whole life. Yeah. And she's gone now. And so I, I I wonder if he just gets nervous when you guys are not there that it's like, wait, is is that one not coming back now too? Or You wonder. I mean, I swear there are times when he goes out in the yard and he still looks for her. You know, but she she is back here, by the way. She's just in a little urn. <laughs> yeah, I just I always wonder if he smells her, like how much scent do they leave? on different places that stay for so much longer than we know because we can't smell it. And I almost wonder if when he's standing out there in the breeze, it's like he still either a smell that reminds him of her or he can somewhat smell her somewhere. I I swear I think he's looking. Now, when you you and mom kind of ambushed me on him when you adopted him. We've got a little bit different opinions on that, but... You kind of ambushed me on that because I wasn't all we had Maggie and I wasn't all about getting another dog. But after we got him through the health issues, which were substantial, you know, and then I had I had a hip replaced and I had to stay home for a week. And he and I really bonded in that time and. And that's, and I'm, you know, I would, I would have fought you over trying to take him. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you understood because he's, he's the best dog I ever had. Well, and and we did. It wasn't, it was always civilized, but it was, you know, it wasn't a fun conversation to have because again, I was in my early twenties and I'm like, man, this is, this is my dog. But then we sat down and we talked about it all and it was just a lot because for me, um, he was, we had had family dogs, but this was my first dog. Like I, you know, I know you yep. guys helped with all that stuff, but it's like, I remember helping pay for him. I remember 
you know, it was like, if this dog's coming home, you are doing all this stuff. And I, I know you guys picked up your fair share of shit and all that stuff, but I did too. And, and it was my first taking ownership and responsibility. But again, he was, if you took him in the car, he'd pee all over the car. Well, by the time I got done training him, it's like he, I would be walking in town with him and you just unclip the leash and he'd run into the woods go take a shit, come right back, and I clip the leash back on. I mean, he was just that good of a dog. Uh, but when we first got him home, I remember for months I would sit on the floor and hand feed him kibble because oh, yeah. he, he was too scared to eat out of a bowl. And, and it was just, it was such an unfortunate thing for him because he just needed to be shown that people don't suck and, yeah, and have love fair. and companionship. And that's then once fair. he got it, I think we kind of unlocked or brought down that wall that he had up and he became such a great loving dog that it, you know, it was tough for me to, to leave him behind because yeah, sure. I had spent so much time, but it was also, you know, the, if you love him, set him free type deal where well, it's, it's like, the right. it was the I right can't thing. take him from this. Like I can't, yeah. Max, was, like my dogs right now are inside dogs. They love to play outside, but they are inside dogs. They want the AC and they'll be huffing and puffing in a couple minutes. If you took Max's yard away, he'd have been dead 10 years ago. Well, he, and he, you know, as much as, you know, and he's always been good. He knows he's getting a treat when he goes out and does his business and comes back in. That's just something we've always done. And yeah. we always did that with both dogs. And, it, and it's funny to watch him in the winter because you talk about, you know, the creature comforts. Yeah, he didn't want anything to do with that shit. Yeah, that's our dogs when it's raining when it's, outside. They're like, do I have to go? Can yeah, I just hold it, like, please? Let me go out here and pee and be done with this. And then, and then I'm going back in where it's warm. But he, you know, he is. He is the most affectionate dog I've ever had. The well, and your guys's connection dog. made it easier to to leave him there because it yeah. was you know like we we really did go from like you guys kind of ambushed me on this to this is my buddy you can't take him right I mean we really well, did go from those two points so it's like that was easier I guess but it made it okay if that makes sense like it. Nope. It was still going to be hard, but like at the same time, like I felt comfortable doing it. The funny thing is, you know how you go to, if you go to Cedar Point and you see a a wrapper on the ground and you turn around and the wrapper's gone, they've already picked it up. Your mom and I are like that with Max now. Now Max, he'll go outdoors (laughs) and he'll pee. And then he'll wander around for 10 minutes and he'll, he's got his regular places where he sniffs and stuff and he'll be out, you know, and usually like when I let him out for any length of time, I, I sit out on the porch and wait for him. You know, I, I don't see, like, I know he's just around the house. He doesn't, he rarely leaves the yard anymore. And if he does, it's just to the edge. Well, he's got two acres that, you know, he can roam in. But he doesn't leave the yard and, you know, but he'll be outside wandering around for 10 minutes. He'll come inside. He'll be three steps inside and take a shit. (laughs) And your mom and I are like the Cedar Point crew. We just kind of laugh about it. 
And it's like, because we're like the Cedar Point crew. She's got the disinfectant. I've got the TP. She's got the right. wipes. And it's so we're like, I'm, I pick up, I mark. <laughs> and she comes behind me with the Clorox wipes and the disinfectant. But yeah, he'll be outside for 10 minutes and then he comes in and takes a shit. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, it's one of those two, you, you know, he feels bad about doing it. And it's like, I, I always found it funny because he'll, you wonder what the process is. Right. So it's like, is he feels it working up. So he's outside, but then, you know, when he's got a squat, things start getting all shaky. Right. I mean, he's, he's sitting there almost like he's got like severe Parkinson's when he's trying to go. And it's like. Maybe he doesn't have the energy to to hold the squat, or maybe he was flexing so many muscles shaking he couldn't get it out, and then he finally <laughs> relaxes when he gets inside. I mean, we were there for Easter, and Max walks by me, and I'm like, oh, my God, what is Is there something on you? And I almost stepped in a yep, perfect in little nugget barefoot, <laughs> and I was just like, oh. But it just, you know, came out of Well, him. he's, you know... He he is he is just I don't even get mad about it. and it, and he doesn't do it all the time he poops a lot outdoors but I don't even get mad at him anymore over it it's like, I never did well no it's, it's not like, like a puppy he's not, not potty trained he's not he doing it yeah he didn't you know tear up a photo album or something he just he can't he can only control it to a certain point and when he's oh, that would have been Maya go. that would have been Maya <laughs> to tear up a photo album I mean but, that. Uh, she was, uh, for everyone out there, um, uh, Melissa and I, my wife and I, we have two dogs, Mason and Maya, and Maya was our first together, and she's still here. She's a little spark plug, blue nose pity. She's a chunk. And as a puppy, a she tore up everything. I mean, we have one of those storage crawl spaces in our laundry hallway that has the molding around it mm-hmm. and as a tiny little puppy like less than 20 pounds she ripped the molding out of the wall <laughs> i mean that girl tore up every little thing we gave her and no matter because melissa and i were both working and, and it you know it was a lot with the puppy and we were still trying to figure it out so we had like the indoor potty things and all like fake grass and all this and she'd tear it up and then piss on the floor and, you know, we had just gotten her potty trained, but she was still into everything. And, and I mean, you know, I, I had like a favorite hoodie and she chewed the pocket out of it. Like, that's just the dog she was when she was a puppy. And you guys on New Year's Eve had a house fire. Yep. And the house burned down and I did not live with Melissa yet. Yeah, um, that was in New Year's Eve 2014. Yes. And so uh, 99.9% of all of my belongings were in my bedroom, which was pretty much the inferno of the fire. So nothing made it out of my room. Um, and yeah, we then, lost the whole upstairs. Yeah. And, and then the only things that survived would be either keepsakes or just a few things here and there that have been put in the basement for storage. So I remember you guys gave me a box. Yep. Um, 
It just just like your standard big cardboard box that you'd pack up like toys or like if you're moving a kid to college, one of those big big cardboard yep. boxes. You guys gave me one of those, and that was everything that I owned other than the duffel bag that I had from the night that the house burned down. And I only had that duffel bag of clothes because I was staying with Melissa. Thank God for that. Um, but you gave me that box, and that box wasn't here for two days. And she went in there and chewed a hole in the bottom and ruined all the little sentimental keepsakes. I mean, I had a book that uh, White Fang. A book that yeah. my grandma bought me and my grandpa who had passed away had written a little note in there. She chewed it to shreds. And it was just like, my, yeah. Maya, you little shit. I mean, she didn't do it on purpose, but it's like, right. man, no, I, insult I to injury. It. Like, I got nothing to ruin what comes here. Well, it was that was a rough go for a minute. The, you know, we have... We've just been really lucky. I mean, these last two Maggie and Max have just been fantastic dogs. And, you know, I, I, he's a great watchdog most of the time still, sometimes he sleeps, but most of the time, if there's somebody like we get a delivery, something Max is like at the door barking and, you know, and the, the, the drivers don't know it, but you know, and they always ask me, it's like, is he mean? It's like, oh yeah. And he's not. He just barks. I mean, he barks when I come home. Well, and when he was younger, I mean, he he can get after you and do some damage. But now, to anyone who doesn't know, he still sounds like he can do some damage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we wanted to talk about a movie this week. And, and, <laughs> and you've seen this movie, and I've seen this movie. <laughs> And I can't even bring it up without laughing about it. The movie's called A Fish Called Wanda. It's um, a 1988 film. It's a it classic. Star it stars John Cleese and Michael Palin from Monty Python years and years ago. They were both in Monty Python's Flying Circus. British comedians. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. Uh, Kevin Klein is in it. And that is you know i just happened to see the other day i was looking through the list of movies that i have on the dvr and uh, that i that one came up and what a classic show what a great comedy um <laughs> i mean kevin klein is a former assassin who is having an affair with jamie lee curtis who is she's also having an affair with the leader of this mob that the she and Kevin Klein and this other guy and Michael Palin is helping them on the backside steal diamonds uh, they they do a diamond heist John Cleese is a barrister a lawyer and um Jamie Lee Curtis it's like she in this movie, and this is 1988, so it's a long, obviously a long time ago. What is that? 35, yeah, 35 years. But she's still a very attractive woman in this show, and and she uses everybody uh, by either flirting or kissing or going so far as to sleep with them. There are 
classic, classic lines in this movie. Now, you and I were talking about it, and and they weren't they weren't coming to mind. So I went to this website, and I I found some of them that refreshed my memory. Um, it's a fish called Wanda quotes. Um, Otto is the character played by Kevin Klein. Um, he says to Wanda, uh, or he says it says this line to uh, John Cleese's wife, whose name is Wendy. She he says he's got a real hang up about people calling him stupid. She he says don't call me stupid, and the lady says why on earth not? Uh, <laughs> he says he says to John Cleese. You know, he's having an argument with him and he's talking about him. He goes, you pompous, stuck-up, snot-nosed, English, giant, twerp, scumbag, F-face, dickhead, asshole. <laughs> and John Cleese very seriously says, how very interesting. You are a true Vulgarian, aren't you? <laughs> he goes, you're the Vulgarian, you f I mean, it's just like really raw, like really blunt humor. And it's, I don't know what about it, you know, but. I think it's because it's off the cuff that English accents make it funnier, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, but it's also like their true sense of comedy. Instead of being something super scripted, it it almost seems like something they came up with in the moment, like impromptu. And that's what I enjoy about it. When you were when you were bringing up the uh, the stupid comment, I actually saw one on that Wanda quote site, and this was the one I remembered out of all the ones I read. And and Otto goes, "Don't call me stupid." And Wanda goes, "Oh right, to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. I've known <laughs> sheep that would outwit you. Outwit you. I've worn dresses with higher IQs, but you think you're an intellectual, don't you?" ape <laughs> and it's just like jesus burn him down a little bit and he's always trying to quote like nietzsche and and he's trying to prove his intelligence she really gets um excited like amped up when somebody speaks a foreign language so he's like speaking italian and he can't speak italian he could say a few words but when he says them she's just she melts you know <laughs> and and to this day i mean her obviously her name in the movie is wanda to this day like there's a scene in court where he is surprised to see her john cleese he's like involved in a trial and he's like saying something to the judge and he's surprised to see her, and he goes, Wanda. And then he goes, I wonder, you know, <laughs> like he's trying to cover it up, like cover it up like he didn't recognize her. <laughs> to this day, when we, your mom or I will hear somebody, the name Wanda, it's like, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just lots. John, John Cleese is hilarious. Michael Palin is a animal lover a pet lover who has a severe stuttering problem in the movie which that's makes it even funnier and there's a lady who witnesses them 
robbing this, <clears throat> making this diamond haul. I think they do rob a bank and they just take them out of a safe deposit box. I think that's how it works. But there's an elderly lady who witnesses this. So then, because everybody else is kind of engaged or tied up this one way or the other, it falls on Michael Palin to try and kill her. And she has these, she's always walking like four or five dogs. <laughs> and, and again, it's, it doesn't really happen, but it just makes it funny in the movie. Every time he tries to kill her, he ends up killing one of the dogs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which just, you know, breaks his heart. I mean, he's an animal lover. And I, I don't know. I, it's like your mom doesn't appreciate Monty Python's Flying Circus. It still makes me laugh. That, that a lot of those skits still make me laugh. I still like, I, I had Melissa listen to I'd Like to Buy an Argument yesterday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'd like to buy an argument. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I would. No, you wouldn't. This is simply contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's, that back and forth is so good. So are you buying the five-minute argument or the 10-minute? Oh, oh, I see. I see. This is the five-minute argument. <laughs> it's just, they, yeah, that sense of humor is very good. But if, A Fish Called Wanda, it is, I would say, a rare movie that I don't think is explainable enough to do it justice. Like a lot of really good movies, you can kind of depict what they are, what their characters represent and all that, and do it somewhat justice uh, on what the movie's intended for. But the type of comedy that this is, because it's so dry, you you have to be in the moment of watching the movie to get the true like parody or comedy of it. But it really, I mean... Even though it's an older movie, even when I was a kid, I still found this funny. Yeah, and, um, and again, that's that's that the charm thing. to it. The the it's one of those that if if you've never seen it, it's not it can't be you know special effects are not involved in this movie at all. I mean, it's just like it's just a comedy, and there's a lot of parts in it. Like you said, you've got to listen to get them all. And, and sometimes, at least for me, someone who speaks in a heavy English accent, especially if they're talking fast, I, you know, I, I mean, I really have to focus to get it, to hear it. But it's one of those that if you haven't seen it, even though it's an old, old movie, I highly recommend it. If you have seen it but haven't seen it for a while, I bet you it'd make you laugh again because it does, it does me. You know, I, that's one of those, I've probably watched it a half a dozen times and probably every five years or so I'll watch that movie and it just, I mean, there's so many funny scenes in that movie. Well, there's so many dynamics between everyone's relationship that the awkward moments are every 10 seconds. Yes. Yes. You know, it's like, (laughs) there's there's a point where Kevin Klein is like, breaking into this house to try and get this locket. Um, John Cleese, it's in his house, and he's trying to hide the locket because they both know 
Jamie, the, the locket's got a key in it to this, to something where they've hid the goods. And the locket has a key in it. And so Kevin Klein's breaking into John Cleese's house. He doesn't know John Cleese is there. And he doesn't want to, um, you know, make an enemy of John Cleese. At, he's part of their scam because he's a lawyer. And he's very important to them succeeding and pulling all this off. But they both want this locket. Well, Kevin Klein breaks into his house. He doesn't know John Cleese is there. And he beats his shit out of him <laughs> with this <laughs> fireplace tool. This thing you, this, I don't know, folding cup thing that you put ashes in to haul out. And as he, when he figures out it's John Cleese, he's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. After he bashes him in the head with it, you know, it's like, and the thing goes, bang, sounds like a gong. I don't know. I just, maybe my sense of humor is infantile, but that movie makes me laugh. It no, really I, I think it's a very good movie and a good comedy. It, it, again, it's, it's, I, I, it's almost like Monty Python. Uh, Monty yeah. Python is such a good comedy sketch, but, because of the type of humor, it's hard to explain and do it any sort of justice. You almost have it to is. watch it yourself. You're right. You're right about that. But that's what I had for the movie. Again, I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, I think it's worth it. If you have seen it and it's been a while, I think it'd make you laugh again. But um, with all of our draft talk and all of our dog talk, that's all I got, buddy. Well, sounds good. We'll have to uh, pick it up next week. I'm not. I'm not sure what the next movie title is going to be, um, but but I'll get to you about that over the week, and maybe we'll figure out something. Okay. But on that note, to all of our listeners out there, we we appreciate you guys stopping by, listening, and uh, continuing to support us. Again, if there's anyone out there that you think would like this, please share it, send it their way, so that we can uh, gain some more viewers, some more listeners. We'd love for this to continue to grow. On that note, be safe, be smart, make good choices, and peace out. Love you, Dad. Love you too, buddy. Bye-bye.